Well, why don't we get started here? We began last week a series uh, called God, I Have a Question. And in this series, the, the intent is to explore questions that people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus are asking. These are questions that people have, and probably many of you have had. Uh, and so last week, we, we started the series, and we talked about why is there so much hypocrisy in religion? And I'm not going to rehash that. You can get it on the podcast. We've like expanded. You can get the podcast now on Spotify. So like, that's pretty much good. And I put it on the, the pocket casts. They say it's there. And you're going to look it up and say, I don't know. They say it's there. Uh, I can't find it, so maybe it takes somebody smarter than me. But you can you can catch up with what we talked about last week about uh, about why there's so much hypocrisy. Today we're going to look perhaps at the biggest question people have. Like when you talk to people who say, you know, I can't believe in God because probably the most primary because is there's so much evil and suffering in the world. How could I possibly believe in a God when there's so much evil and so much suffering? And most of you probably know someone who doesn't follow Jesus because there's not a sufficient answer to this question. Whether you're aware that that's why they don't follow Jesus or not, that's another story. But you probably know somebody who struggles with faith because of this question. And so we want to look at this question, and and quite simply the question is, why is there suffering? Why is there suffering? And, and it's the shorter version of the question that all philosophers are sort of discussing. If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, then why is there suffering and evil in the world? And of course, the premise being, if He's all-powerful, He could do something about it. If He's good, He'd want to do something about it. And this is the question that we're going to address. And perhaps it's a, it's a question you struggle. One thing that I think is notable, notable about Uh, suffering and evil is that it's not just a Christian problem. It's so universal, right? It doesn't matter what you believe about God or not, what your religious beliefs are, every last one of us is going to face suffering. If you haven't yet, you will. Every last one of us is going to have to wrestle with this problem of suffering and evil. It's everyone's problem. We all know tragedy, We all know suffering. We all know evil. Just knowing some of the stories of people in this room. I know some of you are going through suffering right now. That this is your story, dealing with suffering and evil. And I'm sure there's many others that that I'm not aware of that right now you're dealing with some kind of suffering. But this is your story right now. And so as we explore this question, I want to, to... make you aware that I understand that there's sort of a, a, like a philosophical and theological side of this question, but for many of us, as we think about suffering, it's intensely personal and practical, isn't it? Like for so many of us, when we talk about suffering, you're not thinking about a philosophical idea, you're thinking about the thing that hurts. And so I want to honor that as we talk about this today. I want to honor the fact that some of you right now are struggling with this in a real way. And even as I say that, I know some of you, it puts you in touch with that, right? Like, hey, I came to church to get back and be happy. And now you're like putting me in touch with the thing that's making me not happy. 
But I, I, want, to, I want to honor the, the struggle and the, and the pain that is there. I want to take a, a philosophical and theological look briefly, sort of briefly, but then I want to begin to, to address the real pain that many of us feel and see if Jesus would have something to say. And let me begin by, the, by looking at the, the philosophical side of this. And so many people say, well, because there's evil and suffering in the world, there's no way I can believe in God. There's no way. But I would like to start out by saying disbelief in God does not make the problem of suffering any easier. Deciding that God doesn't exist doesn't make it easier to deal with suffering. All atheism actually does for you is make your suffering meaningless. That's all it does for you. If you decide, well, because there's suffering, I'm just going to choose not to believe in God, you still have suffering. It still happens. 9-11 happened to Christians and atheists alike. Hurricane Katrina, same, right? It doesn't really matter whether you believe in God or not. And so I just want to point out that choosing not to believe in God is not a help when it comes to suffering. I also want to point out that the reality of suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Actually, God's existence is required for there to be evil and suffering. And let me, let me explain that to you. Some of you look at me like, uh, what? Feels like you're begging the question a little bit. In order to distinguish good from evil, which is what it would take for there to be evil and suffering, we have to acknowledge that there would be some kind of good. And of course, if we just have some kind of good, well, then we have to have some grid with which we're de determining what is good and what is evil, Right? At some level, we have to say, well, there's something above us. There's some level of moral law. There's a higher moral law that decides what is good and what is evil. If you don't have that, what you have is the animal kingdom, right? The lion doesn't really care about the morality of whether or not it kills the gazelle. It's hungry. If you decide that God doesn't exist, well, then there's no good, there's no evil. They're just strongest survives. Evolution has to take place. And whoever's the strongest survives. And, you know, it's really just natural. You know, we just be kill or be killed, right? This is how it works. But if we decide that there is evil, if we decide that there is suffering, then we acknowledge that there must be good, which means there is a higher moral law with which we're sorting that grid, which requires a moral law giver. We call that God in Christianity. So it evil itself... Suffering itself requires there to be God. But something inside of us, though, screams out at suffering, right? There's something that, that inside of us cringes when we hear about another child shot in a school, right? There's something inside of us that just says, this is wrong. Everything in this is wrong. There's, there's something inside of us that cries out when a girl is sold into sex slavery, this is wrong. There's something wrong here. The Bible says that the law is written on the hearts of human beings. That every last human being has God's law written on their hearts. And that inherently we know there are things that are wrong. And we cry out. Our outrage and our, at the existence of suffering and evil testifies to the existence of God. Evil and suffering demand it. If there's evil and suffering, 
This demands that God exists. But this, this doesn't exactly address whether or not God is good or even all-powerful. It just says that God has to exist. If God is good and God is all-powerful, why doesn't he do something? I imagine there's a lot of us that have had that question, right? I know I've had conversations with a number of you that's like, hey, we talk about healing and how come this guy gets healed and that guy doesn't? This seems more important than that. I don't, I don't understand. How does God decide these things? And this is sort of the mess that you walk into whenever you decide you're going to pursue what Jesus does. Sometimes you just don't have a, a really good answer. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest, there's no perfect answer. I'm going to show you that. There's no perfect answer. There are better answers and there are worse answers. I think where the rubber meets the road for so many of us, it isn't so much the issue that God's existence as it is our, uh, our experience that he doesn't act on things when we think he should and in the way that we think he should, right? So many of us struggle with, with this idea because it's like, why doesn't he do what I think he should do when I think he should do it? I think if we get really down to it, right, doesn't that touch our pain? You see somebody healed of a headache and yet here I am struggling with cancer. How does that make sense? How do I sort that out? How come that kid had to suffer? How come I had to suffer? Why didn't you stop this tragedy? But I think we need to back up for a second and take a look at the limits that we're putting on the question. We're, what we tend to do in this question is we only took, take a look at two attributes of God, namely, if God is good and God is all-powerful. But why stop there? Why, why do we stop there? What if we, what if we add all the other things that God is? God is good. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is eternal. Evil and suffering exist, and you end up with a grid that looks a little bit like this. If God is all-powerful, he would do something about this, and if he's good, he would want to do something about this. Unless, of course, this is doing something eternal. Could it be that we don't see what God is accomplishing with evil and suffering. Could it be that there's a higher moral good? Is it possible? Is it possible that our small brains can't comprehend what God is doing? At the church we came from uh, in Columbus, Ohio, there was a pastor who he did his PhD dissertation on why people surrender their lives to Jesus. And, and so he interviewed, I mean, hundreds, I think maybe even thousands of people. I'd ask Jerry, but she's not sitting here. But why, hey, why did you decide to give your life to Jesus? What was it that caused you to do that? The overwhelming majority was because of some crisis or pain or suffering in, life, in my life. The overwhelming majority. That's, I mean, it's, it's startling to me. There's something about experiencing suffering and evil that awakens us to our need for a Savior. There's something about pain that says, I need something more than myself. Could it be that pain and suffering and evil that you experience is intended to drive you to Jesus? Could it be? C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain, he wrote this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
Maybe the purpose of pain and the purpose of evil is so that we would see our need for God. Or maybe it is something else. We like to think that just because we don't know what it is, that there's no morally good reason that God would allow it. But Paul says in Romans 8.28, it's my favorite verse, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Maybe this isn't completely satisfying to you. Like maybe as we talk about this, maybe it's just not completely satisfying. It's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. This is just not, I mean, you're not, you're not hitting it, Derek. You're just not quite getting there for me. I don't really understand. This doesn't make sense of why evil and suffering happen, but consider the alternatives. Let's look at the alternative suggestions. Hinduism says that suffering is karma for what you did in your past life. Sorry for your suffering. You earned it. You don't remember it but you earned it. Nothing I can do about it. You got to go through it. It's not a, not a great answer, is it? Buddhism says suffering isn't real. It's just not real. Try telling that to a mother who has a, a stillborn child. I'm sorry, your suffering is just not real. That's not a very good solution. Secularism and the New Age movement also says suffering isn't real. When you're trying to sell the idea that all you do is win, 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 no matter what, reference to a song, but when you're trying to sell the idea that that's what real life is, suffering kind of is the opposite, isn't it? This is what New Age says, is we got to just pretend like it's not real. We got to just pretend like it's not real. Christianity may not tell you exactly why the evil and suffering you've experienced happen, but it doesn't gloss over that it happens. It's the only faith that doesn't gloss over the reality that suffering is real. Unlike modern day secularism, Scripture never shies away from the reality of suffering and evil. In fact, Jesus says, you know, here's the best recruiting phrase that you've ever looked for in Scripture. It says this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, hey, it's going to be a hard time for you. But don't worry, it was a hard time for me too. There's an honesty, right? There's an honesty about the reality of suffering. Jesus never says that this won't happen. Jesus says, I'll be with you. And whatever suffering you're experiencing right now, Jesus is not saying that it's not real but Jesus says, I will be with you. If you follow the whole story of Scripture, what you see is that God's response to evil and suffering is not to turn away from it. After the sin in the garden in Genesis 3, God could have just turned away and abandoned the whole of creation, but He chose not to do that. He made a promise that He was going to deal with evil and suffering. And in His ultimate dealing with evil and suffering, God chose to enter creation, to experience evil, to experience suffering, to become human in Jesus. And Jesus experienced firsthand the, the evil and suffering of this world that we experience, and he went all the way to death on a cross for you and me to deal with evil and suffering once for all. In Jesus, we see a God who is not disinterested or far off. In Jesus, we see a God who has suffered what we suffer. And in Jesus, we see that God is near to us in our pain. In Jesus, we see that God cares. I've told this story before, and I still 
years later, still can't tell it without kind of getting misty-eyed, I suppose. Um, but I think it's completely appropriate here. Uh, I remember after we lost our middle child, um, I remember being sort of like messed up, just internally messed up. Like, how, how did this happen? I was so stunned and brokenhearted, and I didn't really know what to do. And so for about a week, I just cried. I just cried. That's all I could do. Some of you know Lene. Lene came to our house. We had just met her, and um, a lot of people had things they wanted to say to make me feel better. They're, you know, kind of people feel helpless when you're in your pain, right? I've, you guys have probably seen this. And they want to fix you. They just want you to stop hurting. And so they say things, and I've just had people say just horrible things. Well, like, maybe this was for the best. Like, for the best? We lost our kid. For the best? It's not for the best. Oh, well, you know, whenever one dies, heaven gains an angel. It doesn't make you feel any better. Honestly, it really just doesn't. If you're somebody that says that, I'm, I'm not really sorry that I'm offending you. We can have a theolog theological discussion later. But people want you to stop hurting. And Lene came to our house and she said, I'm just going to sit with you and stare at a wall with you. And she did, and she just hung out, and she didn't say anything. She didn't try to fix us. She just sat with us. She was just present in our pain. And after a while, I, I, I kind of like was like, okay, I'm just going to put it all together. I'm going to like, come on, man up and do this, right? And so I started to go back to work, and, and I just found myself crying at dumb things. And, and for a few months, I was just like, but I'm going to stay put together. I'm just going to put it together, and I'm going to look like I have it together. And after a few months, it was September of 2012, I believe. Yeah, that would have been right. September 2012, and I remember standing in the shower, and all of a sudden, it just all came out. Like, some of you pray quietly, like you don't say anything. I did not. I probably sounded like I was crazy. I stood there and I was like, God, you don't, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. We prayed every day for this kid. You didn't hold up your end of the deal. We prayed for his health. We prayed for his well-being. We prayed for what kind of person he was going to be. And you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. You didn't come through. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. I did what I was supposed to do. And what do you know about how I feel now? God, what do you know about what it feels like to lose a son? And in that moment, I knew that God understood. I knew that God knew what I was going through. He knew the anguish of my heart. And in that moment, I felt seen. Friends, God can be trusted because he knows the experience that you're going through. That he's not far off pretending like suffering's not real. He can be trusted in suffering because he's the only God who has ever entered into humanity and experienced suffering himself. And he knows what you're going through. Some of you have gone through terrible things. Maybe you're even still going through terrible things, and yet you can trust 
that God knows your pain. If you have experienced pain, God knows your pain. If you've experienced rejection, God knows what it is to be rejected by people close to him. For you have experienced great shame. I heard a story of of a guy who was molested as a kid for years. He was an atheist and he was molested for years. And what he discovered was that because Jesus was hung on a cross naked, Jesus knew what it was like to experience great shame. And there was comfort that God saw him in his pain. For you who have experienced great shame, you can trust that God knows what it is to feel shame. The God of the Bible is a God who comes near. Psalm 34 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I recently had a, an appointment with my spiritual director, and I was talking to him just about how near I felt God was. This was just three days ago. It's Thursday. And I said, you know, God just feels so near lately. Like I just can sense his presence. He's near to me. And I'm asking him for a lot of answers, and I'm not getting any answers. What I'm getting is his nearness. And my spiritual director was like, wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds great. And then I began to unpack sort of the things that have been going on in my life and the, the experiences that I've had. And he said, it sounds to me like you're in a wilderness season. And I said, I guess that's how I would describe it. Like I've been sort of in this wilderness season and yet God is so near to me. And he said, can I just reflect back to you what you just said? I said, sure. He said, you just said that you feel like you're far from the promised land. You are out in the wilderness. You feel like things are not as they should be, and yet God is near to you. And it, the kind of the reality of that hit me. He said, would you like to just sit? He does this all the time. It's weird. On We do this on a Zoom call or Skype, for those of you who don't know what Zoom is, right? And so we're sitting on the computer, and he says, would you like to take a few minutes of Silence and hold that before the Lord. And of course, you know, I mean, I'm paying you, so yes, I'd, I'd love to do whatever you tell me to do. Um, and so we're sitting here in front of the computer silently, and I'm just inviting God into that. And I had this realization that what God told me was, you know something that other people don't know. You know what my, how near I am and what my nearness is like when things are not as they should be. God's nearness. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the destitute. He's near to those who are downtrodden. One of the things that we experience, if we'll allow it, when we suffer, is God's comfort. It's God's comfort. Friends, God is waiting for you to invite Him into your suffering. He doesn't force his way in. He's waiting to be invited. And for many of us, we stand and we say, well, God, this doesn't make any sense, so I'm going to turn my back on you. He's waiting to be invited. I'll finish with a story. There's a story in Scripture. Uh, those of you who are reading through the Bible, you probably just read it. In Genesis, where, where Joseph, if you've seen the play, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, have you seen that? Nope. Okay. 
Just pre- it's out there. You could look it up. Joseph is like one of one of like in the line that God is blessing, and and so he's he's going to be. God has told him that his brothers will bow to him. And he's going to be a great ruler and all this stuff. And so his brothers get mad, of course, and they sell him off. They were going to kill him, and then they're like, "Well, we can't really kill him. We'll sell him off." And turns out he ends up in in Egypt, and he's going to be the the he's he rises the ranks because he can interpret dreams. He ends up in jail. Uh, because he's falsely accused, and, and after a while he comes out of jail, and he ends up being the number two in all of Egypt, and he's taking care of, and he says, hey, there's going to be a, a famine, and we're going to have six or seven years where we're able to, to raise crops, and then seven years is going to be just nothing. So they plan for this, and it happens, and everybody in the surrounding areas start coming to Egypt, because the only people who have food is these guys. And so eventually his brothers show up and they're like, hey, we need food. And you can read the story, but they discover that, hey, this is Joseph. Oh, no, he's going to get us back. All this stuff that we've done to him, all this suffering, and Joseph says, what you intended for evil, what you intended for harm, God has worked for good. He is saving many lives. Friends, sometimes we can't see the meaning of our suffering now, and yet years later we understand that God makes meaning of the things that we've suffered. I think God wants to do that for a number of us. 